Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Isaiah 61. And this is, uh, this is a passage that would be significant on its own, but takes on an extra significance uh, if we remember that this is the very passage that Jesus read when he goes back to Nazareth at the beginning of his ministry. And he goes back to Nazareth and they're all excited because, hey, kind of a local rabbi here, <laughs> let's see what he has to say. And they hand him a scroll of Isaiah and he opens it to this particular spot. And he starts reading this passage. And then he sits down and everybody's looking at him like, what is he going to say about that? And he said, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. And they are floored that anyone would say something like that. Anyway, so what is it that Jesus was uh, applying to himself particularly? This is Isaiah chapter 61. And uh, we're going to read all 11 verses here, and you can look in Luke 4 to see where uh, Jesus read. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you for your word which you have given to us. We pray that you would help us to hear it as it is read and proclaimed this morning. We pray that you'd help us to understand it. I got more than that. We pray that you'd help us uh, to receive it. Lord, to, to live it. Lord, by your word and by your spirit to be changed more into the people that you have made us to be in relationship with you through Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray this in his name. Amen. Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and to release from darkness and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God, You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. 
For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seed to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Turning into Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. This one is really hard to stop at verse 5, so if you want to just keep reading after I stop, that's fine. This is Paul writing from prison to the church in Rome, or to the church in Philippi, sorry. And uh, beginning chapter 2 this way, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last week we began a series, uh, we're carrying through in Advent, about, uh, this is from John 9, it is about a time where Jesus encounters a man who was born blind, and he heals him. And the man goes from a life of darkness to a life of being able to see, and to uh, a life of light coming in, and uh, being able to experience the beauty around him that he had missed his whole life long. This is uh, what we read about last week. If you want to kind of catch up there, this is, that would be John 9, 1 through 12. But uh, let me sum up for you this way. <laughs> Jesus comes upon this man, and uh, the disciples ask, you know, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus is like, no, you, you've misunderstood how this works. But the glory of God is about to be displayed in this man's life. And then Jesus spits on the dirt and makes mud, and he smears the mud on the guy's eyes, and then he tells him to go wash. The man goes and he washes, and then he can see. And yes, we acknowledged last week, that's gross. So that's out there. Uh, spitting in the mud and the wiping. But then the man goes, and he's, he's healed, and he can see. And it seems like that should be the end of the story. The glory of God is going to be displayed in this man's life. He is able to see after he's been blind his entire life. And so it seems like the end of that story should be the hallelujah chorus. Everybody just singing hallelujah that God has done amazing things in the life of this man. And we've all witnessed it. And God is wonderful and amazing. That should be the end of the story. But it's not the end of the story. And that's why we continue in this uh, series. Because what happens next is, uh, well, let's just read it. This is... John chapter 9, uh, starting in verse 13 and going through verse 23. It says, They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. Well, he put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God. For he does not keep the Sabbath. 
But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. And that's where we will pause and we'll pick up that story again next week. But just this section of it, uh, there are a few things we need to talk about. Uh, and I'm hoping you followed along to this point in the story. Because um, I'm going to start asking questions now. So one question I have after reading this story is, who cares? And I mean that like, who cares about something or someone in this story? Who are those who actually care? Is there anybody in this story that cares about anything? Sure there are. Sure there are. In fact, the Pharisees, they care. They care very much about preserving uh, their position within the community, of preserving the purity of the community. And so when they see something that they take to be against uh, the purity of the community, if people are going to be violating the Sabbath day, we can't have that. You can't have somebody working on the Sabbath. That's going to mess up the whole thing. So they care about that. And not only that, but they care about their own position. Did you hear at the end of that? Good grief. Where it says uh, that they had decided, they had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. In other words, they know that people are saying that Jesus is the Messiah, but they have already decided, no, he's not. And it doesn't matter. Just don't, like, don't confuse me with the evidence here. <laughs> We've already made up our minds. Aren't you glad nobody does that anymore? <laughs> Wait a second. We may live in a world where everybody makes up their minds before they see the facts. But anyway, <laughs> but that's what they were doing. Is uh, They had already decided ahead of time that no, he couldn't possibly be the Messiah. Therefore, anyone who is claiming that he is, is cut off. And so they, are, they care about preserving the purity of uh, this community. They, are pre- they care about preserving their own standing within this community, etc. They care. What about the parents? They care about anything? They do. They care about being a part of this community too, don't they? <laughs> they don't want to be cut off. And so uh, it's... This is one of those kind of awkward moments in Scripture where you're like, do the parents care about being a part of the community? Yeah. Is that a good thing? Sure it is. On the other hand, do they care about their son? Well, maybe not as much as they care about being a part of this community. 
And that's, that's awkward at best. So we see people caring throughout the story, but it, you know, what they care about may change. Is anybody afraid in the story? Yes, they are. <laughs> it specifically talks about the parents being afraid. That they are afraid of being thrown out. That's why they don't say anything more. That's why they take their own son, who they have raised, which would not have been an easy task. Not easy to raise somebody anyway, but especially in that day and age, to raise somebody who could not see at all. They've raised him up to an adult, and now they take him and just throw him under the bus and say, ask him. He'll tell you, just leave us out of this. We want to still be in good standing. This is his problem. This is his issue. His problem that he can see now? Come on, people. <laughs> but that's where they are. And, they, and it says specifically they do that because they were afraid of what the Jewish leaders had said. And they were afraid of being cut off from the community. Well, why had the Jewish leaders said this? Were they afraid of something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're afraid too, aren't they? That's why they've made this rule. That's why they've said, if anybody uh, says Jesus is the Messiah, you're going to be cut off because they are afraid of the disruption that would cause for uh, this Messiah to be here. True or not? They're afraid. Does anybody, is anybody in this story able to see? Yes. Yes. <laughs> For one thing, the man who had been blind, he's able to see. If you hadn't picked up on that part of the story yet, you have not been paying attention. That's kind of what the whole story is about. But there's more that it's about, and that we see in, um, in the Pharisees and in the parents. They're able to see too, aren't they? But only kind of. In fact, I would put it this way that the things that they care about affect the things that they see and the things that they see affect whether or not they're afraid. Let's follow that again. (laughs) The things that they care about, so think about each of those categories and what they were caring about, that what they care about actually affects what they see. And then what they see actually has an effect on whether or not they are afraid. Now, we've talked about the parents. We've talked about the Jewish leaders. Let's look at that uh, man who had been blind. Does he care about anything? Sure he does. He cares about being able to see, right? And now, is he able to see? Yes, he is. And is he afraid? What do you think? When he is asked the question, uh, and they ask him things several times, we'll see more of this next week as well. And they ask him, "How received a sight?" And he just, he's just out with it. Like I'll, I'll tell you anything. <laughs> I don't mind. This is what happened. He put mud on my eyes. I washed. Now I see. I don't get what the big deal is. <laughs> the parents understand that 
you don't want, don't want to say that, man. That's going to get you in trouble. I don't care. It's what happened. And I think that the difference here, again, has to do with what it is they care about. This man cared about seeing. Now he's able to see. He sees Jesus. And that has now taken away any fear. Think about this. If you have had that sort of an experience where you have gone your entire life unable to see, and then somebody shows up in your life who opens your eyes and you are able to see, and you now have an entirely different perspective, literally different perspective on the world. And somebody's like, yeah, but don't tell anybody because then you might not get to go to the synagogue. Yeah. Yeah, I think this guy who just opened my eyes, I think he can handle that too. (laughs) Well, people might get mad at you. Yeah, I think he can handle that too. (laughs) You know, all these things that you might be afraid of, is like, I don't even know why I would be afraid of those things anymore. Do you not understand what just happened to me? (laughs) Do you not understand who this is, who this has to be? And that's the other part of this, is this man doesn't have a full understanding of who Jesus is. When they ask him, you know, who who is it that did this? Um, what have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, he's a prophet. And that's kind of, you know, the conclusion he's come to at this point. Based on the information he has, he's not, you know, going as far as Messiah at this point. Although we'll get further in the story next week. But for this point, you know, he's kind of piecing it all together and says, you know, based on what I've seen, this is someone that God has sent to share his message. And that's what a prophet is. That's what a prophet does. Someone that God has sent to share his message. And he's like, that's what this guy is doing. And he's doing it with signs. He's doing this with the power of God. So that's the conclusion I'm coming to. That's what this man is seeing. And it affects whether or not uh, he is afraid. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, uh, one of the lines in the book of Hebrews, this is when, uh, oh, Jesus was talking to some people who they were getting all offended and saying, you know, oh, we have uh, Abraham as our father. We've never been slaves of anybody. He said, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. But took a look at this. This is in Hebrews chapter 2. The author writes, uh, since the children have flesh and blood, he too, that's Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Think about this. This man had his eyes open, and now he's you know, <laughs> set free from fear of these uh, religious leaders. And, um, and what the author here is saying is that's what should happen with all of us when we consider the death and resurrection of Jesus. That that sets us free, actually, from a fear of anything. That, uh, and even as far as the fear of death. And so to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And so again, if you consider who Jesus is, and uh, that was the question that they kept missing um, back there in John. is They kept asking the how question. Well, how did he do it? He put the mud and he made mud. And they're like, oh my goodness, the guy was making mud on the Sabbath? You can't make mud on the Sabbath. But they were forgetting 
to ask a different question, which is, you know, who is it that is doing this healing? Not how did it happen? Did he make the mud or not? But who has the power to restore sight to someone born blind? Who can do such a thing? I think if they had understood the answer to that question, they may have had a different response. Without asking the wrong question, they get the wrong answer. When it talks about uh, to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death, if we consider the death and resurrection of Jesus, and we see that he has broken the power of death, that we don't have to be afraid of that anymore. That should change everything. Now, we do need to have a little caution here. So for this, I'll tell you a story about my brother. So why not? When he was very little, I uh, think about uh, four or five years old, uh, somewhere in there, he was being uh, babysat by our neighbor, and she had to go run some errands. And so she takes her two kids and my brother, and they go, and they um, park in the driveway, and uh, she gets out and I think leaves the car running, but she you know, goes to the front door and is just dropping something off. She's headed right back. Before she gets back, her oldest son, about my brother's age, uh, starts messing with the things in the car, including the parking brake, which he removes. <laughs> and the car, which is on an incline driveway, just starts rolling backwards. And the kids just start screaming. <laughs> and the car goes down the driveway. The mom turns around and sees this, but at this point there's nothing she can do. It goes off the driveway and across the highway. And then on the other side of the highway is a lake which has just recently frozen solid for the winter. And it goes down uh, off the highway onto the frozen lake. And um, they, people pull off the highway, they see it happening and realize that's not probably how somebody means to drive. And so they pull over and they get down there and they get the kids out and uh, the lake hadn't frozen all the way th- through. And so right after they get them all out, it breaks and the car sinks and... Um, it's a whole other side of the story. But afterwards, we're talking to my brother about his experience in this and, you know, what were things like in the car when this is happening. And he said, uh, oh, man, everybody was just screaming like crazy. <laughs> they were so scared. And we're like, well, were you screaming too? Were you scared? And he's like, no. I had my seatbelt on. <laughs> okay. That's good to know. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> he had absorbed the message that we had been given by our parents at that point, that, of course, you put your seatbelt on, that will keep you safe in the car. However, <laughs> he may have over-applied that. And so when I, give this, um, when I give this explanation of, man, we don't have to be afraid of anything if, uh, if Jesus really is who he says he is, that we don't have to be afraid of death. We can, look... What I'm not saying, and what I, where I don't want you to overapply this, that does not mean go start using power tools without wearing safety glasses. You know, don't don't start going and grabbing electric lines. With no, this is if you do dumb stuff, there's consequences. All right, just know that in advance. There's your warning. That said, 
so much of what we're afraid of is stuff that we don't have to be afraid of. And, uh, and by that I mean, if God has called you to do something, if God is calling you to do something, you do not need to be afraid to actually do that. And, uh, and that doesn't mean, you know, take normal, don't take normal safety precautions. Of course you do. But when God is calling you to do something, so how many times have uh, you felt like, I ought to say something to this person one way or another, and then fear gets the best of you, you don't say it. Or you feel like there's something that you ought to do for someone. Uh, but what would they think of me? And fear gets the best of you, and you don't do it. How many times have you uh, seen a situation where there's someone who needs someone to stand up for them. Nobody else is doing it. But fear gets the best of you. You don't do it. Listen, what this is saying is that that's kind of what the parents did here. And when I asked the original question, does anyone care? Go back to what we looked at last week. The disciples saw a blind man and they asked a question about theology. They then bring a man who's been healed from blindness to, um, to the Pharisees. And they start asking legal questions. And then we go to the parents themselves. And they start, you know, just don't ask us. <laughs> they don't even want to be asked at all. And the person who really cared in all of this was Jesus, who really cared about the person who was blind. And yes, there were issues of theology at play, and there were issues of legality at play. But what mattered to Jesus was this man. What matters is that this man experienced the glory of God in his own life, and that through his life, others would experience that as well. Here's the point. God is going to call you to do things, to not do things, to say things or to not say things. And when that happens, the natural response is fear. And the natural response to fear is fight or flight. Not going to do it or your fight against it, whatever. But there is another way. And that comes back to the questions I asked at the beginning. But now not about these people, but about us. What is it that we care about? Because what we care about will affect what it is that we see. And what it is that we see will affect whether or not we're afraid. As we celebrate communion here in a little bit, this is one of the reasons we do this over and over again, that we gather together. This is something that is important to us. This is something that we care about, and it affects the way that we see. That as we go out into the world, we bring this message with us. That we bring this vision of all of reality with us. And as we consider 
uh, not only the sacrifice of Jesus, but also the resurrection of Jesus. And that power, we know that we do not have to be afraid anymore of doing the things that God has called us to do. If he is who he says he is, if he has done what he says uh, that he has done, if he will do what he's promised he will do, well, then let's go. Let's join in. Let's be a part of that. And, and all the fear that gets in the way, let's be done with it. When we hear the fearful voices, I hope you remember this story. I hope you remember this story and we say, I don't want to be the parents. I don't want to be the Pharisees. I want to be the man who can see because of Jesus. And having seen Jesus, doesn't have to be afraid anymore. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.